So the one main topic we're going to talk about here today is the interview being done that was just done by the director, not the showrunner, not the writer, but the director of the WandaVision series and some comments that he has made that has some people a little bit worried, has some people talking a little bit about what it might mean that he had to say and what it could impact as far as what we will or will not see in WandaVision tonight. For me tonight at midnight, for some of you 3 a.m., for some of you 8 a.m., whatever. But for me tonight at midnight, what's going on? Now, of course, WandaVision has been successful on a level that I don't think anybody, not Kevin Feige, um, not... uh, Elizabeth Olsen, not Paul Bettany, not Bob Iger, not Bob Chapek, nobody. I don't think anybody at Disney has anticipated the kind of success that WandaVision has had. You know, it started off with its first episode at like the 35th biggest show in the world. By episode five, it was the number one show in the world. And as audience has only continued to get bigger with each passing episode. Again, that's the benefit of having week-by-week releases instead of dropping a show all at once. But with that growing popularity, with that excitement, with that buzz, with that engagement, with that speculation comes a lot of theorizing. And when you have a lot of theorizing, you can possibly be set up a little bit, maybe for some disappointment. We've seen it happen in several other shows and TV shows or in movies where, you know, it was a good show or a good movie, but it didn't end the way that certain people's theories didn't work out. And therefore, people soured on that. They didn't do what I wanted them to do in this show. So I don't like this show. I mean, listen, and and listen, that's I think we're all like that sometimes. Are we not? Is that not true? Have we not all been guilty of that once in a while where, well, this show, that movie did, I thought that Captain P-Pants should have ended up being the Count of Monte Cristo and it turned out being, you know, Colonel Farts a lot. And, and, and then we get upset because our theories didn't end up being what they went with. So I don't know if it's a sense of embarrassment or we're embarrassed that they didn't do what we thought. So they're the stupid ones for not doing it, right? We do that. As fans, we do that. I've done that. You've done that, whatever. So when you get uh, a show like WandaVision that is so outrageously popular and gets fans so engaged and talk about it so much Theories will come, and when theories come, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, pain leads to constipation, and that leads to the dark side. You know, you you know the Yoda speech. So when the theories come, it can eventually just set us up for disappointment, and we've talked about that the last few weeks, have we not? Have we not? Has it not come up? Have not a bunch of you guys written and saying, hey, John, do you think with all of us getting this excited, do you think some of us are setting ourselves up for disappointment? And of course, the answer to that question is yes. Some of us are setting ourselves up for disappointment. This leads us to an interview that the director of WandaVision, uh, Matt, uh, talking in Entertainment Weekly, he just basically laid out that he is expecting there's going to be disappointment with the finale. There are going to be people who are disappointed with the finale. This is what uh, Matt Shankman, uh, of course, the director of, of the series, had to say. He said this, I hope they, that's us, the audience, 
I hope they feel like the journey was satisfying for them, Shankman said when asked what he hopes viewers take away from the WandaVision finale. I know there are so many theories out there. There will be a lot of people who will no doubt be disappointed by one theory or another. But we're always telling this story about Wanda, dealing with her grief, learning how to accept that loss, and hopefully people will find that the finale is surprising but also satisfying and that it feels inevitable because it's the same story they've been watching the whole time. I think there's actually a lot to unpack in there. So I want us to go back and just read this, at least the second part uh, or the last bit of that again. So let's go over this again. Listen exactly to what he's saying. He's saying, I know there are so many theories out there. There will be, he's not saying there could be, there might be. He is saying there will be a lot of people who will no doubt be disappointed by one theory or another, but we're always telling this story about Wanda dealing with grief and learning how to accept that loss. And hopefully people will find that the finale is surprising, but also satisfying. And this is key guys. Listen to this last line. I believe this is unbelievably important. Listen to this last line and that it feels inevitable because it's the same story they've been watching the whole time. It's inevitable because it's the same story they've been watching the whole time. I think Matt Shankman has has laid out a couple of very, very important things that I think we should look at here for a second. Uh, Number one thing that he pointed out, and I'm going to see if I can, uh, I'm going to see if I can bring this up here. I'm not sure that I can, but I'm going to try. The number one thing that he broke up, you know, let's, let's, let's jump into the, um, uh, let's jump into the uh, campy classroom for a second, shall we? I know everybody hates the campy classroom, but it it it, it is it works out for me sometimes. So let's jump in here for for a minute, okay? So in the campy classroom, let's let's look at this. So one of the things, the first thing that he said that I thought was interesting was that basically this show has always been about Wanda and her loss all right that's the first thing he's kind of pointing out he's reminding us as the audience that what this show has always been from the beginning is about wanda and her loss right what some of us and hey i've allowed myself to buy into this a little bit too i've allowed myself to get carried away with this a little bit too but think about this a lot of people along the way have been imagining this show being about something else. A lot of people have been looking at the show, oh, this is the show to introduce X-Men. Or this is the show that's meant to introduce us to the Fantastic Four. Or this is the show that's meant to introduce us to the wide, ripped, open multiverse, right? And one of the things, and and we've theorized about that, we've talked about this on this show and others and all that kind of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, WandaVision is a tragedy. It's a tragedy about a young woman desperately trying to deal with her grief. And I feel like the director here is saying he's reminding us that, look, this show has always been about Wanda and her loss. That's always been what this show is about. And on that level, it's been brilliant. The second thing that he says there at the end is that uh, the end of this show is... um, is uh, I don't know what's a uh, inevit 
Inevitable. I don't even think I spelled that right. Uh, inevitable. The end of this show is inevitable, is what he says. Like, we go back to that one thing. He says, you know, I hope people will find the finale surprising, but also satisfying, and that it feels inevitable because it's the same story they've been watching the whole time. So while some people have been looking for the ending to have Wolverine come in or how often we talked about how amazing it would be if like if Magneto comes in, the ending's going to be about this big guy showing up. No, Matt says, we hope people will find this ending satisfying because it really is just the true ending. It's, it's the direction this show has been going the whole time. It's the direction this show has been going the whole time. And so I think some people panicked when they heard that the director is saying that he expects some people are going to be disappointed. Now, I want to point something out. He does say here, yes, um, there will be a lot of people right around the middle of the paragraph there. There will be a lot of people who will no doubt be disappointed by one theory or another. I want to mention something here. I want to mention something here. That while he is saying, yes, there are going to be people disappointed with the WandaVision finale. Uh, and cause, he says, is because of your theories. I want to point something out. He didn't say nobody's theories are right. He's not saying every single theory that's been thrown out there isn't the case. He is just pointing out the obvious. That there are a million theories out there. And a lot of them are contradictory to each other, right? A lot of the theories out there are contradictory to, to each other. Clearly, not all the theories are going to turn out to be right. Maybe even not a vast majority of them. But he's not saying none of the theories that have been talked about, none of the theories that have been speculated on will come to pass. A lot of people theorize that Monica Rambeau would get her powers in this show. I didn't. I thought they would wait till Captain Marvel 2 to give Monica Rambeau her Spectrum or Photon or Captain Marvel powers, whichever name you want to use for I thought they would wait for Captain Marvel 2 to give her those powers. But a lot of you guys theorized that they were going to give Monica her powers in this show. And your theory turned out to be correct. A lot of you guys thought Agnes was Agatha Harkness. I didn't because I thought they were making it too obvious. <laughs> I thought I thought she just seemed scared of Wanda and the brooch, the witch costume, the name Agnes, Agatha Harkness. Two on the nose is not her. But guess what? You guys were right. You were right. So it's not that the director is saying that none of these theories, uh, none of these um, you know, speculations, that none of this stuff is true or real. He, he wasn't saying that. He's simply saying that I think there are going to be people who are disappointed. And this is the key. And this is the key. Because we talked about this the other day, right? Like me, I've been trying to downplay most of the theories. Like um, Evan Peters is Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men universe. And I've been saying, no, I, I, don't, I really don't think he is. By the way, he still could be. I'm not, I'm not saying he's definitely not. Evan Peters could be the Fox X-Men universe Quicksilver. It could be. I just, from the beginning, I've said I really don't think he is. I really don't think he is. Um, I don't think Vision's real. I, I mean, there's a lot of theories I have. And because I have a lot of theories, a lot of them aren't going to turn out to be true. The one theory that I have had, the one theory that I have had that I have said I will be a little disappointed if they don't give it to us 
is the idea of I don't want one division because it's been so fresh and so unique and so different and so unexpected from everything else all the other MCU movies have ever been. I would be a little bit disappointed if they give us the same paint-by-numbers, cookie-cutter, stereotypical, yay, the good guys win, happy ending. I feel like this show is set up for a Shakespearean kind of tragedy. I've been saying that from the beginning, right? But if they do go with the uh, cookie-cutter, paint-by-numbers, totally expected, not original, regular superhero happy ending, I know that they'll find a way to do it great. So yeah, while I'll be a little bit disappointed if they don't take advantage of this and go like full-out Shakespearean, it's still going to be great. It's still going to be great, right? I think it's still going to be great. And I think a lot of you guys will be too. But I also think this. I think Matt is underestimating the audience a little bit because I'll tell you something that you guys, that we all as a fan community did that really impressed me. Yes, he's saying he thinks there's going to be some, you know, some sour grapes, whatever, because of because of this. But if you guys go back to that episode where we were expecting this big engineer reveal, remember that? Remember that? I think, what was it, episode seven? We were expecting this big engineer reveal. We had theories about it. We, we talked about it on this show. Could it be this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy? Could it be all these types of things? Maybe it'll be Reed Richards. A lot of people got excited that maybe John Krasinski was going to walk on screen. We talked about that. And it didn't happen. I mean, it might still happen in the final episode. It may still happen in, in episode nine. I mean, like it could. It could still happen. But... It didn't happen. We didn't have some camera pan up and there's Reed Richards with the silver in the side of his hair looking very Reed Richards-ish or not, Krasinski being there looking very Reed Richards-ish and it didn't happen. We didn't see Blue Marvel there. We didn't see Hank McCoy there. It didn't happen. The reality is the show never hyped up the engineer. We did. The show only dropped two random lines in two episodes. I know an aerospace engineer who might be able to build this for us, and I'm going to go meet my guy in an hour. Those are the only lines of it, and we're the ones who hyped it up. By the way, Bryce Evans sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Bryce. I appreciate that, man. Uh, we're the ones who hyped it up. They did not. We did. But if you had told me, follow me here. If you had told me the day before episode seven dropped that, hey, Campia, I've seen episode seven. And just so you know, there is no big engineer reveal. There's none. How do you think the audience is going to react? I'll be honest with you. I would have thought the audience would revolt. I would have thought we've we've seen. I mean, we saw some moaning and complaining online. Sure, that that's normal. But. I would have thought if you told me before episode seven aired and you told me, as a matter of fact, Campia, all this hyping going on, all this talk, all these theories about who the engineer is, there's going to be no big engineer reveal. How do you think the online fan base is going to react? I think you and I both would have thought there's going to be a complete meltdown. But guess what? There wasn't. There wasn't. The fan community actually was like, huh. 
we thought there was going to be some big reveal. Okay, there wasn't. All right. That's, I'm surprised, a little disappointed, but all right. Let's get back into the show. I was so impressed. If, if, if it's okay for us to be proud of ourselves for a moment, let us be proud of ourselves for a moment. I was so impressed because I, I think the fan community online has learned and grown a lot, and I include myself in the fan community, you in the fan community, has grown a lot over just the last year or two. Because I think if this had happened like a year or two ago, we are so entitled, we feel so entitled that when they didn't have any engineer reveal, I think collectively we would have lost our minds online. But what happened? The fan community went, okay, so there was no engineer reveal. Okay, well, the show's awesome. Let's keep going, right? So maybe, just maybe, Matt here, and by the way, Chris Douglas sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Chris. Maybe Matt is underestimating the WandaVision audience. Maybe. Maybe he's underestimating that we as an audience have, the, the audience in general has come a long way, even just in the last couple of years, that when we don't get what we were anticipating, we've learned to be okay with that. And maybe we are. Now, look, I'm sure there are going to be some people who, if it turns out that that uh, Evan Peters isn't the Quicksilver from the X-Men films, we'll probably have some kind of little meltdown. I'm sure there will be some. I'm sure that if Magneto doesn't show up at the end, some people, a small segment, will have a little bit of a meltdown. I'm sure if this, this episode nine ends with a stereotypical happy ending, some boobs are going to have maybe a little bit of a meltdown. Maybe a little bit of a meltdown. I'm sure that if they don't have this big thing where the multiverse opens up in the sky over Westview, showing the old Fantastic Four movies and the old X-Men movies and the old Punky Brewster show and Hannibal from the A-Team and, I don't know, Michael Knight and the Knight Rider and Airwolf flying in. I'm sure if that doesn't happen, there are going to be some people that have a little bit of a meltdown. But I, I actually kind of think we'll be okay i think we'll as long as they do a good ending to this show as long as they give us a strong finale like they've given us eight strong episodes so far i really think for the most part the audience is going to be okay we may grumble a little bit and go huh well what was the point of evan peters huh what was the point of her mentioning ralph all the time huh what was the point of having that book down in her basement huh what's the point of showing the rabbit i mean yeah, we'll probably have a little bit of that, but I think at the end of the day, we're, we're, we've probably grown enough as, as a genre fan community to go, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. As long as the episode is good and lives up to the quality of standards that they've had, and as long as they do that, I honestly think the majority of us, we're going to be okay. You and me are going to be okay. You know, if it turns out Quicksilver isn't the Quicksilver from the X-Men universe, I think you and I can put our hands on each other's shoulders, look each other in the eye, and say, it's all right. It's all right. Like Robin Williams saying to Matt Damon at the end of Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. But yeah, again, I, I want to read the thing one more time. So we get what it is he is saying and what it is he is not. Yes, he's saying people are going to be disappointed, but hear him out again. I hope that they feel like this journey was satisfying for them. 
Uh, Shankman said when asked, we keep you know the thing, the one division finale. I know there are so many theories out there, and obviously not they can't all be right. I know there are so many theories out there. There will be a lot of people who will no doubt be disappointed by one theory or another. But we're always telling this story about Wanda dealing with her grief and learning how to accept that loss, and hopefully people will find that the finale is surprising but also satisfying, and that it feels inevitable. Because it's the same story they've been watching the whole time. I think while, yes, hearing the director of WandaVision coming out the day before the finale of WandaVision and saying, I think people are going to be disappointed, that's a little disconcerting, right? That That's a little bit, mm, that, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel good. I, I feel like he's he's warning us that this thing sucks, right? I get it. I get it. But really, when you listen to what he was saying... Everything he says makes sense. There will be some people disappointed because their theories don't turn out to be true. But he didn't say there won't all the theories won't turn out. And he said, we think we've given a satisfying ending. And I think if they give us that, if they give us that satisfying ending, I think we'll all be okay with it. We may, we may raise our eyebrows. We may grumble a little. But at the end of the day, if they give us that satisfying ending, I think we'll all be okay with it. Now that, of course, will then open us up to our pregame show a little bit later this afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I hope you guys come and we'll talk about those theories. Which ones do we now feel are thrown out the window? Which ones do we now feel are going to come to pass? What do we think is going to happen in the final episode of WandaVision? These are all big things, and we'll talk about those things during the pregame. And then, of course, tomorrow, don't forget to join us for our final spoiler review of the final episode of WandaVision. That'll be tomorrow, of course. All right, guys. What do you guys think about all that? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that being said, let's now take the rest of the day and just take your live questions. I'm sure there's going to be some about WandaVision. I'm sure there's going to be stuff about a lot of stuff. So let's go in and do that. If you want to get in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link that's in the description of this video. You can just go click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And I'm happy to report we are all cut up. On our questions, all the questions starting today with Willow, I believe. Yes, Willow, all the questions today, starting with Willow, have been sent in after the end of yesterday's show. We are all caught up. It's a good feeling. It's taken us a couple of weeks to get all caught up, but I'm feeling pretty good. Okay, guys. Let's get into it and see what you guys are having to say. We're going to start off, of course, with Willow, who writes, Speaking of District 9, we watched the movie in high school, and a friend of mine found the prawns, the aliens, so gross that she couldn't eat prawns for a while. Have you ever had a movie turn you off from a food or activity? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Uh, I think the the main one I can think of, hold on a second, I'm just going to turn, it's getting warm in here, I don't know why. It's actually quite cold in L.A. today. It was cold in here when he started the show. Anyway, when I was younger, um, obviously it came out a little before I could watch it. But when I was younger, one of the first movies my dad brought home when he would rent like a Laserdisc player, you know, we didn't have a VCR. He would go bowling and at my dad's bowling alley, 
uh, they had a video kiosk where you could, for like 25 bucks, you could rent a Laserdisc player with two or three movies for a couple of days. And he would bring the Laserdisc player home, plug it into the TV. And for whatever reason, my dad thought it was a good idea. Uh, my dad thought it was a good idea to bring home Jaws. So, okay, now you got to understand, me and my family, we go camping every weekend, right? We had a, we had a, a campground we, we'd love to go to. Dino sends in a Super Chat badge, by the way. Thank you, Dino. We had this campground uh, near Ontario, between, around Niagara Falls, Hamilton, Ontario, called Bing Park, and we used to go there, and that we go swimming and all that kind of stuff. So we used to do that every weekend. But when they brought home Jaws, and I watched Jaws, it was the first time in my, I think I ever told my mom I needed her to come and sit in the bedroom while I went to bed because I was terrified and I didn't swim again for almost a year. I wouldn't go into the water for almost a year if it, unless it was a pool. I would go into a pool, but unless it was a pool, I wouldn't go into the water for like a year. I was traumatized. I still think, I still think I'm a little bit bitter at my dad. I still think I'm a little bit bitter at my dad for showing me that movie at that age. <laughs> anyway, there's that. So yeah, I had that one. Uh, and by the way, Dylan sends in a, a live chat badge. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, next up, Sloth is Legend writes, uh, Hey, John. Uh, hey, John and crew. Happy WandaVision Eve. It's game day, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like the hopes and dreams of so many will either be crushed or affirmed tonight. This show made me realize I kind of miss weekly releases. As fun as binging in, Sloth Voice. Hey, you guys. Here's the thing. It's, it's, the debate is over. There's no more debate. The, the facts are just too obvious. It is much better for a show to be released week to week. Now, I, I listen, I get it. For those of you who are bingers, I am one of you. I love being able to sit down and plow through like seven episodes at once or whatever. I get it. But when you look at what's happened with Mandalorian, with their week-to-week -week releases, when you look at what's happened with WandaVision, with the week-to-week -week releases, when you look at the benefit we as a, as a fan community have, that we're all on the same episode at the same time, we're all talking on the same page, we get to talk about and build up and hype and then do it again next week, it's been great. Uh, and by the way, uh, J.O. World and Joseph Sanchez both send in Super Chat badge. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Uh, but it, it has been great. Like, I'm a binger, too. I totally am. But the week-to-week -week model is obviously the one that works best. And uh, I think you're going to see even Netflix move to that model in the next few years. But we'll see. All right, next up. Merlin Brando writes, Hey, John, question for you. Whatever happened to Chris Carr? Oh, really? I've, I've only answered this like 50 times. That's okay. You may not have been here. I'll answer it again. Uh, whatever happened to Chris Carr, I noticed she hasn't been on the show for a while. Will you ever have her back? Okay. So, uh, again, uh, what happened was the pandemic happened and, uh, we weren't having people come in. We tried to have Chris on via a, a Skype situation, but it, she's not in a good situation to do that. And so we weren't able to bring her in via Skype. And she was in what she would qualify as a high risk situation with, with the pandemic. And so we just never had her come in again, but she and I have touched base. Chris and I, I love Chris Carr. Let's just be very, very clear about that. I love Chris Carr. Um, she and I have touched base. It, it'll be a little more challenging now because I do live like an hour away from her. I used to live like 15 minutes from her. Now I live like an hour from her, but Somehow, some way, we'll figure out a way to get Chris back because I adore Chris, and I think you guys do too. All right, next up. War Doctor 10 writes, 
Hey, John and crew, calling it now. LA Kings will beat your precious little Toronto Maple, Maple Weeds in the Stanley Cup Finals this year. Go Kings, go. Uh, hey, listen, I don't give a shit. You know why? Because the Toronto Maple Leafs in my lifetime have never even been to the Stanley Cup Finals. So if this happens and they actually get to the Stanley Cup Finals, I'll be popping bottles, dude. I'll be popping bottles. All right. Optimus Prime Rib writes, uh, recently watched Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Terrific movie. Uh, terrific. Spike's filmography is inconsistent. I agree, though. Uh, same can be said about Woody Allen. Who do you think um, is the best hit and miss director? Uh, someone who may have an okay batting average, but high slugging percentage. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. High batting, not a high batting average, but a high slugging percentage. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, Spike Lee is a hit and miss director for me. But man, when he hits, when he hits, I mean, recently with his, um, I mean, obviously he did the five bloods, which I liked. I like the five bloods is good. But I mean, his, um, uh, the black Klansman was so good. You go back to some of his older films. He's a little hit and miss. Um, man. Oh, that's a good question. I've never thought about it in those terms. You know, I, I almost kind of want to say Zack Snyder in a way because, you know, you don't love all of his movies and he gets mixed reactions for some of his movies. But man, when he kills it like 300, like Man of Steel, when he kills it, he kills it. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying Zack Snyder's as good of a director as Spike Lee uh, or Woody Allen. I'm just saying that, you know, a guy who gets mixed reaction, not all of his movies are great, great but man, when he's when he hits his stride and he's he's on his A game for a particular movie, he can really knock it out of the parks. So I don't know. It's a good it's a good thought that I'll think about that. All right. Oh, a bunch of you guys in the live chat are saying M. Night. That's a good Dr. J. Uh, Murray Reich in the live chat. That's a good one, too. M. Night. Absolutely. Because he's when he's not on his absolute A game, he's terrible. But when he's on his game, he can crush it. So actually, M. Night's a really, really good one to uh, lay uh, roll out there, too. All right. Next up. The Wakanda Forever writes, best way to predict the future is to create it. Wakanda Forever. I like that line. That's a really, really good line. All right. Casey McNatt says, hey, John, just wanted to know, have you seen the pilot uh, for the new NBC show Debris yet? No, I have not. Uh, I saw the pilot and it was actually pretty good. It kind of gives off a very X-Files fringe type vibe. Okay. All right. Now you got my attention. You mentioned a show gives you X-Files and fringe kind of vibe. All right. You, you have my attention. I, I will look into debris because of that case. McNatt, thank you for the recommendation. All right. Patrick Conway writes, I feel like Warner Brothers is not making Justice League appealing enough to the general audience. Like the marketing for it is very similar to the 2017 marketing and the general audience don't know who Zack Snyder is, let alone everything that happened in 2017. Well, here's the problem, Patrick. Th- this is this is part of the challenge of marketing a the Snyder cut is they already marketed it before. They already marketed it before. I mean, it was a different cut. It wasn't the director's cut. And and the Snyder cut isn't exactly a director's cut. It's a little bit, it's more than that, but it's hard to know how to ter- give what terminology to give to it. But look, I, I've said the whole time, and Warner Brothers understands this, there's no point in doing some big, massive marketing campaign for it. There's no point. 
the people who don't like Zack Snyder's DC stuff are not going to magically like his iteration of Justice League. They already know they don't like his DC stuff. And those that do like his DC stuff, you don't need to market very much. They're all very, very aware about the what the Justice League is doing. But I've been saying for a long time, like people who think there's going to be some magic happens are delusional. Like you're not suddenly going to get millions and millions of people who have hated Zack Snyder's other DC stuff are magically now going to like his sensibilities. It's just not going to happen. Nor are people like myself who do like his DC sensibilities. Are we magically going to change our minds and suddenly not like what he has to do in the DC cinematic universe? So there's really nothing for the Warner Brothers marketing department to do except let the people who have been looking forward to it know that it's coming and that's all they need to do. That's really all. There's no point in doing anything else other than that. And I think they're doing that part pretty well. And, um, and now all that's left to do is to see how it actually turns out and then we'll see. All right. Next up, uh, BK Dan writes, Hey John, I don't know if this is on your radar, but have you seen or heard of the history of swear words? Dude, we did several big segments about that show. The history of swear words with Nicolas Cage immediately thought of you and your filth. Just kidding. Anyways, bring on the filthy. Oh, I'm very aware of it. I, I don't. Has it started airing yet? By the way, I've, I've been disconnected. So I didn't. You guys in the live chat. Have they started? Has the history of swear words begun streaming on Netflix? Because the last time I checked, uh, it had not yet. It had not. But. Okay, so you guys are saying, yes, it has started. All right, I got to go and watch it then because we talked about it when they dropped the first trailer and I was very intrigued. Thank you to Talia and Greg and Daniel and Dominic and uh, the great Bonnie and everybody else for firing and uh, answering that. I, I I do have to go and watch it because I saw the trailer for it, fell in love with the concept. Uh, it fell off my radar after that, but I do got to go watch that because it seems like a brilliant combination. <laughs> Nick Cage doing a show about swear words. I love it. All right. Uh, and by the way, uh, deal Dundee sends in a, a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that, dude. Um, all right. James Welsh writes one of two problem I have with making characters like Superman and bond black or ethnic, uh, in theory, I don't mind them changing their skin color, but I, what, what I would mind is if they brought race into it. If Superman or Bond suffered from racism in the movies or they make their skin color a big part of them, I would I would mind. It's not me being racist myself. I just feel that if you bring up race with their characters, then you are fundamentally changing what these characters are. Uh, they're not Black Panther where race is a big part. I, I see where you're coming from, James. I see where you're coming from with that. I do. And yeah, because one of my big arguments has always been that yeah, go ahead and make, I mean, I personally, if I was making a Superman movie, I'd probably keep him white just because that's the traditional thing. But I have no, hey, want to make a black Superman? Go for it. The color of his skin does not matter. So if color of the skin doesn't matter and you want to try him Asian or you want to try him black or whatever, that's fine. Superman's an alien entity. He's an alien organism. He's not white, black, Asian or anything anyway. Because the color of his skin doesn't change anything about Superman. Now, what you bring up is an interesting point. If they suddenly make his race, whether it's white, black, Asian, whatever, if they make his race an issue, now you are fundamentally changing it. I would say the one exception I would have to that, the one exception I would have to that is this. 
in a lot of, not all of them, but in many iterations of Superman, we see he had a rough time as a kid. He would get bullied. He would get picked on whatever as a kid, right? Like we even saw that in Man of Steel where he had to hold back his powers when other kids were picking on him and stuff like that until Jonathan Kent shows up, right? And I always thought to myself, what, what would, why would they be picking on this kid? He comes from a, a pillar family in the community, in the Kents. He's a good-looking, white, smart, athletic kid. Why, are they, why would these guys be picking on him? That never made sense to me. But if you wanted to say that uh, Kal-El came to Earth and his skin pigmentation happened to look like a black American as opposed to a white American, you could say that the reason for him getting picked on a little bit, you know, in a farming community in Kansas, not that a farming community in Kansas is any more racist than anywhere else in the world, but if you wanted to say that, oh, the, the, the root of him getting picked on a bit when he was younger was because he was different. Uh, was because he was obviously adopted, uh, was because of his the, 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 the ethnicity difference. That could work there because in many iterations of, of Superman, he was picked on when he was younger. This gives us a reason for why he was picked on. But other than that, yeah, I think um, I, 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 I get where you're coming from and I think you're right. I think you're right. And I don't think they would make it a big issue. I really don't. But we will have to see. And by the way, we don't even know that they're going to be making a black Superman. We don't even know if they are. So we might just be debating this for no reason whatsoever. All right. Anyway, well stated. You you, you put your point very well, James. All right. Next up, Liz Olson's Lost Love writes, uh, Wanda watched the series as a child um, without commercials. That's right. Because they have them on DVD. I guess those we've seen are like a virus, a hero or a foe is embedding into the broadcast subliminal messages by Agatha strange, the rabbit. And if they, and, and if the fly may be the silent actor hugs friends, maybe, or it could have been that the commercials were just for us. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think at any point Darcy or Jimmy or anybody watching the WandaVision broadcast ever saw the commercials. Am I wrong? I I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe there is a point where they specifically point out, uh, oh yeah, this commercial came on. But to the best of my recollection, I don't think at any point, um, Oh, wait a second. Caden is saying, Caden is saying they show the commercials in episode four. Darcy did see a commercial. Well, then there you go. There you go. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. I don't remember them actually seeing a commercial, but I take your guys word for it. You guys are saying they, she, she did see the commercial. Okay. So there goes that. So what's up with the, with the commercials? My theory about the commercials got shot down because my theory for the commercials was that the man and woman in the commercials were actually uh, Wanda's parents who died in the explosion. But then we met her parents and they weren't the same people. So there went my theory. So I don't know what they're going to say. They may not even bring up the, the commercials at all. They might not even bring up the commercials at all. Or maybe they'll end up being very important. We will find out soon enough. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, we are 11 hours, 15 minutes, T-minus 11 hours and 15 minutes from the WandaVision finale, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, Stefan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Stefan. All right, next up. 
Uh, Alex Von Gollum writes, Hey, John and Aaron. Aaron's obviously not here today, unfortunately. Vision said he's never experienced loss. Uh, it won't happen, but it would be interesting if Wanda dies in the finale. Sorry, Wanda. Somehow Hex Vision survives, and another show sees how Viz now copes with his grief. Thoughts? Well, no, that would be that would be um, that would be going to the what they would call going to the well one too many times. That would be a little bit going to the well one too many times. Not to mention, we know Wanda is going to appear in Doctor Strange too. Like that's been announced, so we know that that's happening. Although they could pull in another Marvel fake death. They could have Wanda die at the end of this and have her come back at the beginning of Doctor Strange, or they could do that. I I think Wanda survives. I still think Wanda survives. It's going to be a tragedy. She's going to go dark, and then we will see what I think Vision dies. I don't think the kids make it out of it. But all these theories that a bunch of them aren't going to be true, we'll talk about those a little bit more when we do the pregame show a little bit later today. Thanks for that, Alex. Next up, we got uh, another one from Alex Von Gollum, who writes, Geo. Uh, you've mentioned that, and Rohan shall answer. That's right. Is your Lord of the Rings Gur moment? Oh man, when he says, "And Rohan shall answer." Gondor calls for aid, and Rohan shall answer. Theoden is a badass. Theoden is a badass, and Rohan shall answer. You can't. If you're a, I'm sorry. If you are a man, your blood rushes when you see King Theoden, who doesn't even like Gondor. He doesn't even like them. And Strider comes running in and says, the torches have been lit. Gondor calls for aid. And Theodore, the- Theoden, I should say, doesn't, he, doesn't matter that he doesn't like Gondor. Doesn't matter that Gondor wasn't there for them. It doesn't matter. When, when Rohan needed help, Gondor wasn't there. That doesn't even cross King Theoden's mind. Fuck you. Comes in, Gondor calls for aid. Theoden, chest out. And Rohan shall answer. Mm. Mm. Damn, that's tasty sauce. That is tasty sauce, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, sorry, what were we talking about? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, is your Lord of the Rings Gur moment? Yes, it is. Uh, what is your Star Wars Gur scene? Hmm. Mine is I am a Jedi like my father before me. Uh, Aaron or Kimberly, neither of whom are here. Uh, what is the scene that make you feel this? Oh, so in Star Wars, I Star Wars is a different kind of experience, right? Star, it doesn't give you that Gur moment. Although that one's pretty good. That one's pretty good. Um, gosh, what would be a really good one for me? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, although one that kind of comes to mind for all the wrong reasons is the beginning of uh, Return of the Jedi. When Vader shows up on the under construction Death Star and he's talking to the dude in charge and he says, the emperor is most displeased with your lack of progress. And he's like, yes, the impossible. We're already working like 24 hours a day, dude. Like we're going as fast as I can. And then Vader... This is this is like this is like I am the biggest badass in the universe. Vader turns to him. Perhaps you'd like to explain that to him when he arrives. It's like oh shit! And the look on the guy's face. The Emperor coming here. It's so good. I I really like that. I really like that. All right. Anyway, uh, next up, Jonathan Vigoa writes. So after getting HBO Max to see Wonder Woman and the Snyder Cut, I finally got to watching Doom Patrol. 
excellent. Uh, after you, your near constant praise of the series, and this show is bonkers, but in a good way. Still waiting on the I flex the wrong muscle line to show up. Guys, seriously, if I, I, I cannot get... It's hard for me to even describe Doom Patrol. It's rooted in incredible story with really resonant characters these bonkers crazy characters but you connect with them on a human level like few other shows it's so good that show is so bonkers and yet so grounded at the same time it's hard to explain unless you watch it but i'm glad you got onto that one jonathan i'm glad you got onto it all right next up power is power rights I'm really hoping they keep Agatha. Uh, second favorite witch behind Rowena. Oh, from Supernatural. I love Rowena. Nothing uh, nothing to base it on, but it seems like witches use a different kind of magic than sorcerers. May not get along. Would love to have a scene uh, of Agatha and Doctor Strange talking. Could be. In the comics, there are, there are different types of magic. Like, like, one is... I can't remember what they call it. It's been a while, but like Dr. Strange taps into the magic of other beings and uh, even in other dimensions. Whereas the type of magic that Agatha use it, like draws it from the universe itself. I, it's, it's weird. I don't even fully understand the difference, how they differentiate it, but that's the comics. That doesn't mean how they're going to do it in the movie. So maybe they are going to say there's a bit of a difference. Maybe they're not going to say there's a difference. All right. Next up. Russell Amador writes, uh, Hey, John, Seems like Cherry and Chaos, yeah, not getting great reviews, uh, aren't too good. Are, aren't off to good starts as both are listed under 40% on the Rotten Tomatoes. Will you be turning, uh, tuning into either? I'll be watching both. Actually, I'm, I'm going to be watching Cherry tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to be watching Cherry. Will you be turning into either, either one? This seems far too uh, familiar as Robert Downey Jr. didn't fare well in non-MCU roles during his MCU tenure. Well, I mean, there's a difference. Look. The Robert Downey Jr. situation and the Tom Holland situation are different in in several important ways. The most important way is this, is that not only because, you know, the actor, an actor cannot make a bad movie good. All right. An actor cannot take a bad movie and make a bad movie a good movie. The actor doesn't write the lines. The actor doesn't create the environment. The actor doesn't create the story. The actor can only step in and give the best performance they can with the character they're handed, right? So you don't blame, like if, if Cherry isn't any good and if Chaos Walking isn't any good, unless they give bad performances, you can't blame that on the actor. All they can do is take the character they're handed and breathe as much life into that character as they can. With Robert Downey Jr., the difference is not only did he turn out some questionable movies, but people didn't care about the movies. That was the hard part. You know, he put out, what was it called, The Judge? Is that what what it's called, where he plays a lawyer and his dad... Uh, is this like this really important judge? And he's got, I think it was called the judge, the judge, which actually wasn't bad. That movie wasn't bad, but nobody watched it. And it kind of tanked at the box office. It kind of tanked at the box office. And then, I mean, I'm just for giggles here. I'm going to go over to, hold a second. Uh, what was the name of Dr. Doolittle? box office i believe dr doolittle 
Also kind of crapped it at the box office. Uh, let me just see if I can get, get up the number here. So Dr. Doolittle, yeah, at the box office, where Robert Downey Jr. is kind of accustomed to his movies making $250 million opening weekend, Dr. Doolittle made $250 million worldwide total. On a $175 million budget, which means that movie flopped. That movie lost a lot of money, man. That movie lost a lot of money. Now, then there was some films directed by Guy Ritchie, and I love Guy Ritchie as a director. Like his Sherlock Holmes ones, those ones weren't bad, but he had a couple things. The thing about Cherry and Chaos Walking is we don't have box office numbers to measure. See, what the Robert Downey Jr. situation told us, and maybe this is unfair, but what the box office totals of things like Doolittle and The Judge and things like that, what that basically told us was the audience wasn't really all that excited about Robert Downey Jr. as much as they are excited about Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark. Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark, everybody's super excited about. Robert Downey Jr. playing almost anything else, not as much. Now, maybe that's an unfair assessment on my part. I'm just telling you what I see. With Tom Holland, we really don't know for sure. All we know is that it looks like a lot of people don't like these movies, but that doesn't mean people wouldn't have rushed out to the theaters to see them because it's Tom Holland. We just don't know. So because of that, it's a little bit of a different situation. It would be interesting to see, though. It would be interesting to see if we were under normal circumstances. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Jalen Pryor writes, Hey, John, okay, you and Ann are trapped in a hex for weeks, and you need to pick five to six sitcoms. I don't do top five or six, just so you know. Uh, and we need to pick five or six sitcoms to live through. What are you picking? Also, thanks for what you do, man. Uh, this year has been tough on me, and I'm glad to have you in the movie community to keep me sane. Cheers. Well, thank you for being part of the movie community, Jalen, and being part of the solution. Um, uh, all, all the... Hideous, hideous, awful drama, notwithstanding. The the Cosby Show. I mean, it feels super... I, I know Bill Cosby is not the Cosby Show. They're different things, but it feels really weird to say that, understanding everything we know about Bill Cosby now. But, I mean, that to me was kind of an ideal thing, right? I would pick one of those sitcoms where it's just nice and easy. Nice and easy. That's what I would like. I would pick one of those sitcoms. Those are the ones... Like, nothing that was dangerous... Nothing that was anything like that. I would just pick a nice, easy, happy, family, friendly kind of thing. That's the one that I would do. All right, next up. Ray writes, Monica explaining her experience in the hex. Pain. Then Wanda's voice in my head. Uh, did you try to resist? There was this hopeless feeling keeping me down, like drowning. It was grief. Sounds a lot like what Wanda told Vision in episode eight. Oh, yeah. Of that, I, I have no doubt. Like, I think... With Wanda taking over their minds, like her magic touching them all, I, I believe they're getting drowned out in her pain and her grief. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, I think, Ray, your observation there is completely right on the money, and I absolutely uh, agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. All right. Jalen Pryor writes, hey, John and Aaron, and Aaron's not here right now. Hopefully I catch her today. Okay. So I know that Aaron is an actress, and I was wondering if she could go back and pick any female Marvel character to portray. Uh, who would it be and why? Also, my friend Emmanuel is now regular on Star Trek. Oh, that's that's always cool to have a friend who's starring in that. Um, 
You know, Aaron and I have had conversations about that before, about, you know, if she could have been in one of these big comic book cinematic universe things, which one would she do? Where would she go? Which character would she like to be? Um, I think she said on this show, she was this close, this close to being Maeve on, uh, I think she said it on the show before in the boys. At least I think she said that on the show before. Anyway, um, I, I, that's a really good question. I will ask her that again. Cause I know we've talked about that. I don't know if she ever gave me a straight answer to it though, but I, I will ask her, I will ask her. All right. Uh, next up, uh, MD writes one of two regarding WandaVision. I was thinking about the beekeeper and how he just disappeared after Wanda's no. What if this was a precursor to a bigger no moment? So it wouldn't be no more mutants, just another no that results in something drastic. All right. Here's the thing. All right. Let me bring this up. So yesterday, yesterday, um, we mentioned that let me see if I can get the, the icons here that I want. Give me one second here. Oh, there we go. We mentioned, we, we went down 10 questions, right? 10 questions I felt we still needed to answer in the finale there, right? And one of the questions that I brought up that I knew a lot of people would think is not a big deal, but I said, the answer to this could be important. I said, one of the questions we got to ask is, what happened to Agent Franklin, aka the beekeeper? Now, one answer means it's inconsequential, but the other answer could drastically affect how we look at the entire story. Because after Agent Franklin went into the uh, hex and Wanda and Vision caught him, Wanda just goes, no. And that was it. We never saw him again. Some people thought he might have been the ice cream man, but a quick side-by-side, -side, you could tell he wasn't the ice cream man. So we never saw him again. So what the hell happened to him? Now, if the likely scenario happened that he then just got assimilated into Westview just like everybody else, well, then that's fine. You know, that's fine. Inconsequential. No big deal. And by the way, Chris Hunt sends in a Super Chat badge. Thank you, Chris Hunt. I appreciate that, man. Um, then it's no big deal. But... If her no, like wiped him out of existence or killed him, well, that makes us look at Wanda very differently. They've never even mentioned Agent Franklin again. They've never even mentioned him again. So, I mean, that could be incredibly important. If he was just assimilated into the town, no big deal. But if not, it could be something that's incredibly important. And we will see. All right, MD number two of two. Uh, in that beekeeper scene, time rewound a little. So what if, for example, Vision dies and she does her no and time jumps back. They revive the scene, but Vision dies again. This happens in a loop until she finally concedes that she has to let him go. Well, I mean, she doesn't have the eye of Agamotto. I mean, she doesn't have the time stone. And I think what she was able to do hex-wise didn't affect time outside of the hex, that sort of thing. Uh, maybe it's possible that could happen. That could. I mean, right now, the, the, all theories are on the table. A lot of them are going to get shot down tonight, but all theories are on the table. And MDU might be on to some. Maybe they do go that direction. All right. Uh, 
Camada writes, one of four. Hey, John or Rob, greetings from Port Hope, Ontario. I like Port Hope. I used to stop there every once in a while. Anyway, a big fan of the show. Just wanted to say it was great seeing filming of It chapters and see my town on the big screen. I watched both It films on the Capitol Theater screen, which appears in the movie. That's always an awesome experience. I remember the first time I saw Hamilton, my hometown of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I remember the first time I saw a Hamilton on a screen. It, it was great. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, it was one of the last films I saw on a theater screen because my job sometimes doesn't allow me to go to a movie theater as often. Warner Brothers gave Port Hope an advanced screening of both. It, oh, that's cool. Of it films through a local contest. I just wanted to write in to say that I've taken some of your recommendations of things to watch, catch up on while I can. And I have loved some of the recommendations like Lovecraft Country. I loved that show. Uh, Shit's Creek, one of the best shows in years. And Kim's Convenience, also desperately love that show. Now my two questions, now, now two questions is this. What are some other shows, movies to check out from the past few years that you'd recommend? For me, it's tough to find things on a service because not everything is on the same platforms. True, which we will talk about a little bit tomorrow. How long do you think before it improves thoughts? All right. So, and actually, uh, Camera, that's pretty much bang on the money about what I want to talk about tomorrow with all the streaming platforms, the cost, how the shows are spread out all over the place. We'll get into that tomorrow. Um, for me... The show that I find still a lot, of, not a lot of people have watched, and it is in my top three all-time favorite television shows, is Sons of Anarchy. Uh, Sons of Anarchy is is absolutely, and you know, you get to binge it now because the entire series has been completed. You get to binge the whole thing. Uh, and Nazareth L sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Nazareth L. Appreciate that. Um, Sons, uh, yeah, that's that's the one. If you're looking for the one big one, and it's you know uh, five seasons, I think five, maybe six. I can't even remember how many seasons it is, but it is like my third favorite show, third or second favorite show of all time. And so, if you got some time to go check it out, do. And then after that, you can watch the show that's on now called Mayans. I think they're just getting ready to do, launch season three, I believe. Uh, Mayans isn't as good as Sons of Anarchy, but it's it's still pretty solid. I actually quite like mines. But uh, yeah, Sons of Anarchy, that's my recommendation. And I hope you enjoy Camada. And thank you for writing in, my friend. And enjoy Port Hope. Okay, next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, uh, one of two. As someone who was born shortly after Return of the Jedi came out, my parents often tell me that I can't possibly understand just how different the entire nature of movies and fandom was before Star Wars. Yeah, th there's there's a... There's, there's something to be said about that, actually. That's true. Um, now I have my own version of that, as I often want to tell younger fans they can't understand what it was like to spend 15 years with those first three movies as the only Star Wars there was. Oh, listen. No, you're absolutely right on. And by the way, Slow, Soul Brother Mac writes in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Soul Brother. Appreciate that, man. Um, it is true. There's, there's an entire generation right now who have only lived in a world where there's multiple Star Wars things, right? For a lot of us, a chunk of our lifetimes were spent in a world where there was the Star Wars trilogy. I mean, yeah, there was expanded universe books and things like that too, but really there was the Star Wars trilogy. And it's it's hard for people to really, I, it's hard to describe to people. And there was no Star Wars controversy. That's the other thing. Like Star Wars these days is a lightning rod of controversy. 
But back when it was just Star Wars, oh no, everybody just knows Star Wars is better than, or at least as good as, sex itself. Everybody knew that. Star Wars is awesome. That You could have taught that in schools. Star Wars is awesome 101. And everybody agreed. Everybody agreed. But try to explain that to people today. It's it's a little bit different, Ryan. It's a little bit different. All right. Uh, next up uh, comes to us from Peruvian food is the best, writes. Hey, John and Co. I really hope the twins are real in WandaVision. I'm going to cry if they don't make it out of the show. Uh, kids bring something different to the table. I also like the kid in Iron Man 3. Yeah, he came back for Endgame for the funeral scene. Hope we get to see the twins grow up. What do you think the percentage chance is? I don't think the kids make it out. And don't be too torn up about it. I don't think they're real in the first place. The kids aren't real in the first place. Those kids you see are literally, what, 72, four, the 72 hours old, four days old. They're not real. At least I don't think they are. That might be one of the theories that gets shot down tonight. Um, I So I will put their chances at getting out of this alive at 20%, which is, which is higher than I would have said maybe a week or two ago. But I will set the possibility of the, the twins getting out of this alive at 20%. 20%. So not impossible, not impossible, but I'll set it at 20%. All right, next up, uh, NGF Mike writes, one of three. Hey, John, big fan and former Samco member. Good to have you, dude. I still rock my Samco shirt, actually. I still have it. Um, uh, Samco is, of course, Sons of AMC Online Originals. That's Samco. Uh, back in the AMC days, I don't know if I still have it. Hold a second. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um AMC Sons of Anarchy. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, I'm not sure if I can. For those of you who may have never seen uh, the badge, let me try it one more time. AMC, uh, how about if it's Sons of AMC? Oh, I did, I did find it. Look at this. I did find it. I used to love this badge. So basically, one of our fans... Um, knew that I love Sons of Anarchy, right? One of our fans knew, this is back when I was running AMC, the AMC days. And they knew I love Sons of Anarchy. And one of our fans was this great artist. And they put this badge together. They put this patch together. And for those of you who don't know, that was the hoodie I always used to wear and my AMC hat I would always wear. And they put my microphone they put my microphone instead of the, the Reaper sickle and they put a box of popcorn in my hand. And that was our patch. And we put our, I mean, we kind of went by Sons of AMC. That's where we were. And we put the patch on everything. We made badges. We made jackets. We made shirts. We made the whole thing. And we we always just rocked them together. We always just, wherever, we, we would go to Comic-Con and like me and and like Harloff and Schnapp and Amy Rose or whatever. We'd, we'd walk around. We'd all be, we'd all have our Sons of AMC stuff on, right? It was just the coolest thing in the world. It just made us feel cool. It made us feel cool. I, d- I loved those days. I'm not going to lie, man. I love those days. Uh, anyway, uh, so you were a Samco member yourself. Good to know, my friend. Good to know. Anyway, um, where are we at? Stephen DeKnight, Spartacus creator, uh, and he also did Daredevil, by the way, uh, was on Twitter talking about how his new show, Jupiter Legacy, with fans. He revealed that the show was going to be eight episodes, but he had originally wanted ten. Um... 
According to him, this was due to Amazon saying that the algorithm calls for eight to nine episodes now. He went on to explain that, in his opinion, limiting episodes limits storytelling. I agree with him. Uh, If Daredevil, which he ran season one of, was eight episodes, there wouldn't have been Kingpin's backstory, would not have been explored. Do you agree with him, or do you think a good storyteller can tell a good story no matter how many episodes they are given? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Well, I mean, look, on the one hand, I mean... Think about, this is one of the big things about people who make movies. This is why when people ask me, what do you think is harder to make, TV, a good TV show or good movies? It's much harder to make a great movie. Making movies is harder. And one of the reasons is, oh, you got eight episodes? Great. So you have like what? Seven to eight hours? Seven to eight hours to introduce your characters, set up the development of the contacts, get into the main action of the thing and bring it to resolution. Guess what? When you're making a movie, you got about two hours. You got about two hours to introduce the characters, get us to know them, set the context of the story, put the main thrust of the action act two into motion, and then bring us to resolution in in act three. You got two hours to do it. That's why people get mad at me when I say, I really do think making movies is harder than making TV shows, but I stand by that. I really do think it is, but I agree with him. I agree with both of you. Look, on the one hand, it's your job as a storyteller is to tell a story, whether you got to do it in a movie in two hours and 20 minutes or whether you got to do it in a series, you got to do it in eight episodes. You got to adapt to that. But I do believe that it does become limiting in a TV series. I, I believe it becomes, it limits what you can do in a TV series. The shorter you make the series or the shorter you make the season. I, I don't like eight episode seasons. I'm, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I don't like eight, nine. I would like minimum 12 episode seasons. Well, John, then you just get all filler. Not if you've got good writers. If you have good writers and a good storyteller, you can tell a great compelling story over the course of 12 episodes, no problem. Because there have been TV series that have had 22, 24, 26 episodes a season and always made them great to watch. Always made them great to watch. So if you can't do that for 12, then the problem's with you. No, it's just, I'm just saying, that's just kind of my take on it. So I, I'm not a fan of like eight episode seasons. I'm certainly not a fan of six episode seasons. Um, or not, I'd rather, I'd like to see minimum like 12 episodes. But again, that's just me. That's just me. I'm not trying to push that view on anybody. That's just my opinion. So yeah, uh, I totally get where he's coming from. I, I get where he's coming from. I love Stephen tonight's stuff. I love him. Aaron, Aaron Cummings worked with Stephen tonight very closely. Uh, on Spartacus. They, they're they actually very close. And I wish she was here to answer that question. That would have been great. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, uh, Justin Danford writes, last bit on my great white shark equals white vision theory. White vision powered by the hex will draw more and more power from the hex when inside of it. I, 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 I can see that theory. I can, because he's obviously powered by hex magic. So Maybe causing one to ex- to expend more and more of her power to maintain it. I feed upon yo magic, possibly. By the way, uh, Dragon Ten sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dragon Ten. Uh, Justin then follows up with, "She wants to desperately hold on to the things she is starving for, but can't, but can never really have her family, and doing so will kill her. She has to let go, and when she does and loses everything, no more Wanda. I am the Scarlet Witch curtain." So where this goes back to is the theory was floated the other day 
that white vision is actually the great white shark in the yo magic commercial and that since this white vision was brought to life brought to life by the residual red hex magic that was on the drone and the whole hex is made up of her chaos hex magic that inside that hex he's going to be able to feed on it more and more and more making him more and more powerful culminating with the only way to stop him that Wanda's got to turn it all off that Wanda has to turn the entire hex thing off and in doing so obviously vision can't exist outside of the hex so vision's gone again she kills vision again I don't think the kids can ex- can exist outside of the hex, which is why she warned them not to go past that one street. I don't believe the kids can exist past that outside of the hex either. I might be wrong about that. I could be wrong about everything. I mean, who knows? But uh, and by the way, Extreme Nation sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, Extreme Nation. So that's that's all there. Um, it's a good theory. I mean, it's one of those theories where I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but it does connect all the dots. I like that theory. What do you guys think about that? The white vision is actually the great white shark from the thing, and he's feeding on Wanda's magic. And she's going to have to just shut the whole thing down and lose everything again. I mean, that would be powerful. It would be powerful. I don't know if that's what they're going to go with, but it would definitely be powerful, man. Let's keep our eyes on it. All right, next up. Uh, Ray Solo, not Skywalker, writes... The ultimate announcement to piss off fanboys of multiple franchises, a new Star Wars trilogy coming directed by Zack Snyder, written and produced by Ryan Johnson and starring Brie Larson as the lead, a gay Jedi whose love interest is played by Jodie Whittaker. (laughs) Yeah, you want to trigger? You want to trigger a bunch of insecure people? That'll do it. That'll definitely do it. That I mean, that 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 covers it. If you if your purpose, if your whole purpose is to trigger a bunch of people, that will absolutely do it. No no doubt about it. All right. Next up, uh, Eugene reviews writes, "Greetings from Houston, John. Big fan since the Clyder days. Thank you so much, Eugene. Uh, speaking for hours upon hours must take a toll on you. It uh, you guys don't see it, but it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Uh, do you have any speech exercises that help? I myself am attempting my hand at YouTube and slur my words often. Thank you and bring on the filthy. Well, you know, I never actually do because I literally find on many days I'm doing five, six, seven hours of talking. Um, sometimes nonstop, like today when I don't even have a guest on, I have no way that I can take a break for 30 seconds while somebody else speaks. I don't have any kind of a break today. And then a little bit later today, we have our pregame show. So it's going to be, it's, it's going to be going to have to muscle through this one. Um, so, but no, there's no specific voice exercises I do. It's just that I have, I I'm doing it so often that it kind of makes up for the voice exercises in a way. And I've just be, kind of become accustomed to it with you slurring your words though. I would say this, the number one piece of advice that I always give anybody who asks me for advice on how to do YouTube videos or podcasting or blogging or whatever, the number one piece of advice I always give people is this. Once you write a blog post, read it 20 times. Once you're done a podcast, listen to it a couple of times. Once you're done a YouTube video, sit down and watch your own YouTube video a couple of times. 
It's not to be narcissistic. It's just that the only way you're going to be able to key in, identify, and recognize patterns in yourself is if you sit down and watch it from an audience's point of view. And I would always tell people who worked for me at AMC or Collider, I would always tell them the same thing. Go home, watch the video you were just in. I don't like watching myself. I, I, I know, I get it. Some people aren't, but you have to. Because it will help you identify, maybe you already know certain things that you're weak at, but it'll maybe help you identify the patterns surrounding your weaknesses. Now, listen, I'll tell you right now, if you go back to my earliest movie blog days when I used to do the uh, the movie blog audio edition podcast, the first, the world's first movie-related podcast, I still do it today a little bit, but not nearly as much. I had the worst, worst lip-smacking. And I I still do a little bit to a degree, but it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. Like I would always notice when I was doing, when I go back and listen to my podcast or even in the earlier AMC days, every single pause would be followed by. Well, you know, I think when you go back and look at this situation, uh, you see that our main character antagonist, Really likes, I mean, it It was really, and like I said, I, I recognize that today, um, that I still do that from time to time, but believe me, it's a lot better than it used to be. And the reason it gets better is because I constantly watch myself, and when I see myself or hear myself doing the lip smacking, I look for the patterns surrounding that, and I try to be able to identify, and I've gotten a lot better at it. And so, and I think that's applicable to a lot of things. Maybe it's applicable to you find out when you go off on random stories, what normally triggers you getting off topic. Uh, What are ways to recognize when you've gone on a topic for too long? What are ways to recognize that you didn't cover enough in a topic and you went too short? Uh, Maybe you slur your words. Maybe you can identify what are the things that set me up that leads me to slurring my words. Again, I'm not saying you're going to find your answers, but my number one bit of recommendation is whenever you do something, whether it's podcast or a YouTube video, sit down. I don't care if it's uncomfortable and rewatch it or re-listen to it a couple of times and do it every single time. I kid you not a part of my job, and this may sound weird to you, but a part of my job is after I'm done the John Campia show and after I render out the podcast version and after I edit out the segments, render them and upload them, Once all that's done, the first thing I do is I go and get myself something to eat and then I sit down in front of the TV and I put on that day show because I have to review it. It's got, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes to sit down and watch yourself, but it's a part of the process that you have to be willing to do. And so, uh, that is my, uh, that is my my recommendation for that at any rate. Anyway, I hope, hopefully you found that helpful. I hope you did. Maybe you didn't at all, but I hope you did. All right. Anyway, thanks for that, Eugene. Next up, MD writes, during Wanda's flashback, uh, it would have been interesting to see as a part of that uh, was set in the gap between Wanda being rescued from the raft by Cap and her and Vision ending up in Edinburgh two years later. That period still holds a lot of mystery overall, but does it? Does it though? Does it still hold mystery? We know they developed their relationship. We know they started seeing each other behind the scenes and we know they developed a very deep and meaningful love and and affection for each other. What else do we need to know? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, we there's I, I don't know. I don't know that there's much story there to tell. It feels like all the pertinent information, all the important information that we needed, we got given to us in Infinity War. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they could come up with something. Maybe they could come up with something interesting. I don't know. That could be fun, MD. All right, next up. Uh, Eugene's Reviews writes, Also, I wanted to greet a big uh, Mubuhai uh, to... I, I'm probably mispronouncing that. That's That's Tagalo. I'm sure I mispronounced it. Uh, big uh, Mabuhay to Anne as a fellow Filipino myself. Um, has she immersed you into Filipino culture? To what extent does it make you want to visit the Philippines if not yet already Thanks again and bring on the filthy. You know, it's funny because Anne is the only member of her family that was not born in the Philippines. Her brother was born in the Philippines. Her sister was born in the Philippines. She was the one that wasn't. She was actually born in Los Angeles. Her, Her mom and dad had just come over. Now, they took her back to the Philippines after that. And, uh, and she, she spent a lot of her younger years in the Philippines and then she came back to LA, but she was actually born in LA and no, I mean, honestly, Anne is very much an LA girl Anne is very much an LA girl. Now, of course I got to meet, I was very honored, very honored to meet her grandfather before her grandfather passed away. Her grandfather was the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the Philippines. Uh, there are high schools and parks and things named after her grandfather over there. Uh, so I was super honored to meet him. I, I get to go to a lot of her family functions. Um, she has uncles and aunts who are high-level government people in the Philippines. Uh, of course, I'll watch every uh, uh, every uh, uh, Manny Pacquiao fight, of course. That'll be a big interest to Anne's family whenever Manny Pacquiao fights. But no, haven't really been, uh, haven't been immersed in Filipino culture. Although my brother-in-law Stan, uh, who's married to Anne's sister, who's also Canadian, my brother-in-law Stan is also Canadian and is married to Anne's sister. He's like John, let them take you to the Philippines, man, because you get there and you have they give you personal drivers who drive you all over town. You're treated like royalty when you're there, and blah blah blah. It's like really, so maybe someday I gotta go, but I haven't gone yet. All right, next up, uh, Jesse writes. It may be silly, but I'm still getting kind of worried about Tom Holland's career outside of Spider-Man with hearing not great things about Cherry, Chaos Walking, last year's Devil All the Time or films like uh, Heart of the Sea and Doolittle. Hopefully Uncharted crushes it. Well, eh, don't worry too much about Tom Holland's career. Like, because uh, uh, when you look at Devil All the Time, I didn't love Devil All the Time. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, but pretty much universally, everybody was like, oh, my God, Tom Holland's good. Oh my God, Tom Holland is good. Like Tom Holland's stock went up and it continues to go up. And at the end of the day, I think it won't matter how good or bad Cherry is. I'm more worried about the Russo brothers, to be honest with you. But at the end of the day, it won't matter how good or bad Cherry or Chaos Walking was. As far as uh, Tom Holland goes, what will ultimately matter was, do people remember Tom Holland being good in them? That's what's going to really count. And I think actually recently Tom Holland's stock, even though he's been in some questionable movies, it seems like Tom Holland's stock is only going up. So I wouldn't worry about him right now. I wouldn't worry about him right now. Okay. Uh, Next up, Uh, King Artros of Montevall writes, one of two. Hey, John, 
Uh, I just saw a teaser for the upcoming effects show. Uh, I was excited. Uh, I was excited because it had some footage from the new Why the Last Man, which I'm very intrigued by, uh, which was great. But also a new show called The Old Man was shown as well. I don't remember hearing about that on the previous Disney investor meeting uh, that you live streamed, which was really great, by the way. That was a lot of fun, actually. Uh, So I ended up looking at the cast for The Old Man. It stars Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. I did hear about this. The concept seems awesome. Have you heard of this show? Thanks. I heard about Jeff Bridges doing that show, but I don't know anything about it right now. As of right now, I know nothing about that show. So I have not seen this FX trailer yet. I haven't sat down and watched that FX trailer yet. I don't really know anything about it yet. Um, so I still got to go see that. I, I particularly want to see it because I want to see that footage from Why the Last Man. Why the Last Man is a project. Do you guys remember Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be, like for years, was attached to star in a Why the Last Man film franchise. They were going to do Why the Last Man as a film franchise. And like for years, Shia LaBeouf was attached to it. And then I guess and I th- I'm trying to remember the name of the director, the director from Eagle Eye, who also directed Shia LaBeouf in Eagle Eye, was attached to direct. Shia himself was supposed to star in it. And it just never came to be. So I have been waiting. I have been waiting uh, a good amount of time for this wide last man. So I'm very intrigued by that, King Arthur. So I still got to go back and watch that little FX teaser. I still got to make sure I watch that. A big one coming up here. Jared's review writes one of six. Hey, John. If you don't mind, I'd like to give my two cents on the AMC on AMC with a story. When the pandemic first hit, I was a manager at AMC. Lockdown happened and I had to figure out how to pay rent. After a month and a half, I got a job at a grocery store to pay rent. Uh, after struggling for a few months, having little to no money at the end of each month, my lease ended and was able to move into my mom's to wait for the pandemic to slow down. Family told me to get unemployment, but since I was young, where I wasn't on, where I wasn't in huge danger of getting COVID, I felt it was irresponsible of me to get unemployment when I can be out there helping, being a low risk, uh, being a lower risk, and someone who needs unemployment more than me can get it. When I could have used that extra money, so it frustrates me when AMC didn't at least decide to give something to the employees who did end up, uh, who did end up to come back when they reopen and Aaron didn't defer that money. Adam Aaron, he's the CEO of AMC, didn't defer that money. Uh, When they really would have gone bankrupt if it wasn't for the stock market. If someone like me, who could have used that extra money in unemployment, decided, look, I am paying rent and getting by. There is someone out there who isn't and I don't want... uh, and I don't want the possibility of them not getting unemployment because I got it. If I can decide for someone who is struggling, Aaron, who makes that, who makes what he makes, should be smart enough to know that this isn't the time. I didn't return because I am making more at my current job, but I don't get angry. But this made me angry regard reading it. Thanks for listening. All right. Thank you for sharing your story, Jared's Reviews. And yeah, this goes back, for those of you who may not know and and didn't watch the last couple of days, this goes back to a story that came out of this. And I won't, I won't, I'll just cover this quickly. I won't go off into the whole tangent again. But AMC Theaters, which was on the verge of bankruptcy and fell ass backward lucky into that stock market spike that happened, that covered a lot of the things. AMC Theaters, which is on the brink of bankruptcy, that has furloughed 30 
30,000 employees, 30,000 employees got furloughed in a movie theater industry that is struggling to stay in existence right now. And what did AMC do? They give a nearly $4 million bonus to their CEO, who already, by the way, makes $9 million a year. Let me repeat that. They decided in a company that is on the brink of bankruptcy, in an industry that is barely keeping its head above water, and a company that has already furloughed 30,000 employees, this pack of jackholes decided to give to their CEO a four, nearly $4 million bonus when he already makes $9 million a year. That was the most tone-deaf, ignorant, slap-in-the-face move I can possibly imagine. And now look, I'm not faulting anybody for making a lot of money. Hey, hey look, the AMC is a big company. You want the top job? You want to get the best people? You pay a big salary? I'm not I'm not besmirching Adam Aaron for making nine million a year. It's a big job. He I'm sure he earned it. Whatever. Fine. I'm not I'm not besmirching anybody that. But when your company's on the brink of disaster and the entire industry's on the brink of disaster, and you haven't really done anything special to help keep this company afloat, and you've had 30,000 of your employees get furloughed, and you take a nearly $4 million bonus, fuck you, asshole. Fuck you in your stupid, fucking, smug, little, idiotic face. And fuck the board of AMC Theaters. Fuck them all for doing that. That is a spit in the mouth. It's not even a slap in the face. It is a spit in the mouth of those 30,000 people that got furloughed. Now, again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, oh, since people got furloughed, the CEO should give up his salary. No, fuck that. It's his salary. If he's still doing his job, give him his salary. I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys who, oh, anybody who has some money should give it all. To, and I'm, oh, I'm not saying that in the company. It's the company. If he's doing his job, he's doing his job. But the movie theater industry is barely holding on by a thread right now. It's holding on by a thread. So much so that you fucking jackalopes at AMC went crawling on your hands and the knees. The government, please, government, help us. Look how hard we're being hit by this pandemic. And you were being hit hard by the pandemic. I felt sympathy. I was like, yeah, I, I think I think the theater ex- experience is important. I think the industry is important. I think it's good for jobs. I think the government should help them out. But when you go crawling on your hands and knees to the public and you're sending out massive marketing telling people, go sign this thing to support our theater industry and you're begging the theater for bailout or you're begging the government for bailout money and you're on the brink of extinction and you lay off 30,000 people or furlough 30,000 people and then you give a $4 million bonus on top of a $9 million salary to CEO to your CEO? Fuck you. Adam Aaron's a disgrace. He's an absolute disgrace to this industry. This fucking jackalope makes me embarrassed that I was ever associated with AMC theaters. And I have love. 
for AMC theaters in my heart, ladies and gentlemen. I have love for that company in my heart. I really do. A big part, a big, a, a big, very transitional part of my career was done in partnership with AMC theaters. I have, they are my favorite movie theaters to go to. I have, I still have people I really respect there. And I have love in my heart for that company. But fuck you guys. I hope you burn. I hope your company burns. I'll still probably go to the movie theaters because you're my favorite movie theater. But fuck you guys. Seriously, if the day comes now that announces that AMC is going out of business, I won't shed a tear. I won't shed a tear. You take 30,000 people and you smack them in the face and you spit in their mouths. You bend them over and then tell them to say, thank you. May I have another? Fuck you. You pieces of shit. Anyway, sorry. I said I would not go off on this again. Let's stop. Anyway, Jared's reviews. uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you uh, sharing that. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your your experience. I ex- appreciate you sharing your point of view. And uh, yeah, fuck Adam Aaron and fuck the board of AMC Theaters. And uh, yeah, whatever. It's tough. It's tough. It, 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 and hey, listen, again, let me emphasize this. I wouldn't get as worked up about it if it was a company I didn't give a shit about. I get more upset because it's a company I really love. I, I, I'm not, I'm not joking around when I say I got love in my heart for that company. I really do. And that's what makes it more frustrating. That's what makes it more frustrating is when you actually like the people or the thing you're seeing doing something really stupid. It's, it's, it's just more frustrating. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Shall we? Let's keep going here. Uh, next up, Jonathan writes, Remember that four-minute scene in Up chronicling the story of Carl and Ellie, one of the greatest four, five, six minutes in film history? Uh, I contend that is one of, if not the best love stories ever put to film. Beautiful, heartbreaking, with no words. Don't have to watch the movie to see its beauty, am I right? I mean, no, it's... Listen, that opening of Up was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and by the way, Mr. Golfwing uh, 969 sends a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mr. Golfwing. Appreciate that. Um, it is like there's nobody. You go into that theater, you think, oh, cool, little cartoon about a man with a house with balloons in the house. He's going to fly into the sky. Oh, this is going to be so fun. And then, like, in the first seven minutes, you look around the theater and everybody's bawling and crying and and like questioning their own life decisions and all that thing and that entire sequence done without any dialogue. It was done with visuals and this powerful piano that plays in the background with it, striking every emotional note. Oh my God, it was so good. I mean, I I honestly, I don't know how you can watch the opening of Up and not at least feel your throat start to tremor and get a little bit of moisture welling up in your eyes. I don't know. It is it is absolutely, uh, absolutely breathtaking and fantastic, and I love it. And by the way, K Major sends in a super chat badge. He says, thanks for being you. Oh, thank you so much, K Major. And he tipped in like $20. Thank you, K Major. I appreciate that very much, man. Thanks for the support. All right. Anyway, well said, Jonathan. Well said. Next up. Uh, Shanghai Finn writes, one of three. 
let's see if this comes out before or after the last WandaVision episode. Well, it's coming out before. I'm not sure if I said before, but what if when Vision 2 enters the hex, in Wanda's eyes, he is manifested as Ultron? Yeah. And therefore, is Ultron inside the hex, but not outside of it? If Fietro turns out not to be at least somehow related to the Fox X-Men. It will just be a cheap trick. No, it won't. Anyway, let me let, let me talk about that in a second. No, it won't. Disappointing and meaningless. So I really hope Marvel doesn't do that. Kind of nervous about it, but fingers crossed. He ain't going to be Fox's X-Men uh, from the Fox X-Men. Also, in the first Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer at 37 seconds, that's definitely the Shanghai skyline. Not sure if it actually happens here. Sure, they didn't film here, but still happy to see my second hometown featured or at least serving as inspiration. Dude, listen, I still get a big kick. Like when I watched when I watched the first episode of uh, Titans on what was DC DC Universe, the first live action Titans episode, I'm like sitting down and watching it's like, I think that's Hamilton. And sure enough, I jumped online. It's like, yep, they shot Titans in Hamilton, Ontario. Whenever I still see something shot around Hamilton or Toronto, I I don't know. I just, it, it feels really good. I don't know why, but it just feels really good. Okay. Let me, so let's first talk about your uh, vision thing. Hey, listen, there's a lot of theories out there that when this vision talks, we're going to hear James Spader's voice. I don't know that we are. But that would be chilling if we did. If we would, because like, what if they like uploaded like they have no operating system for this vision thing? What if they uploaded like remnants of the Ultron program, and they think, oh yeah, it's no problem, we can control it this time, and then things go horribly bad. So I mean, your thing may not be far off. It may may not be far off whatsoever. Uh, and by the way, Chicken Little sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Chicken Little. I appreciate that, man. Um, but now let's talk, let me will you guys indulge me here for a second? Let me go, let, let me talk about this for a second. Let me talk about this because Shanghai Finn, you are not the first person I've seen to write in and say, "Man, if that Evan Peters character isn't Peter from the Fox X Men movies, how did you put it? It would just be a cheap trick and disappointing and meaningless." Let me address that for a second. Film fan to film fan, brother to brother. Let let me let, let's let's put our hands on each other's shoulders and have a connection moment here. Let me t- let me talk straight here for a second. All right. For years, we've always talked about movies coming out, right? That had some connection to some other things. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they cast so and so just to be in it? Not as the same character, but just cast so and so to put it, put it be in it. Wouldn't it be great? If Tobey Maguire popped up in one of these Spider-Man movies and then it turns out he was like Uncle Ben, like he wasn't Peter from the other Spider-Man. Wouldn't it be cool if he showed up and he was like Uncle Ben? Wouldn't it be cool if so-and-so from a previous iteration of this showed up here, but he wasn't like that previous iteration. Wouldn't it just be cool if they cast that and put him in there? Wouldn't that be cool? So Kevin Feige's heard this for years from us, right? Heard this from us for years, So what does he do? He does something incredibly cool. It's like, okay, well, since we need this fake Pietro character, why don't we go get Evan Peters? I think everybody would talk about it, everything. So he goes and does that. But now, now we're saying, oh, you put him in there and he wasn't the original guy he originally was? What? Like, like what? 
We've, we, like, movie after movie, year after year, you're constantly seeing fans online going, wouldn't it be cool if they cast that guy from the old thing and put him in there just as something else, right? And so what happens? Kevin Feige does that. Wouldn't it be fun? Let's let's actually get Evan Peters to play that role. I think everybody get a kick out of that. And instead of getting a kick out of it, a whole bunch of people are like, that was pointless and misleading. And I, I don't know. Like, I don't, for, for me... As a fan, just as a fan, I think it's brilliant. Now, and, and by the way, let's be clear here. Let's be clear. We still may very well find out. I don't think so, but we could still very well find out in the final episode tonight, for some of you tomorrow morning, that Pietro is indeed, this Fietro is indeed the Peter from the Fox X-Men universe. It could be. I've said from the beginning, I don't think it is. I've said from the beginning that doesn't make sense to me, but it's still possible and it still could happen. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But if it turns out he's not, what is there to be upset about? Kevin Feige said, five-year plan. Once I'm done my five years, then I'll bring in X-Men. And then when he wanted to get some fun casting for this Fietro character, he brought in Evan Peters, something that fans have asked for for this type of casting for years and years over multiple types of films. And then he does it, and then suddenly we get mad at him for it. I, I don't know. I, I, think it is a, I think it is simply one of these things um, that we just got to uh, just... You know what I think it is? Here's what I think it is. I think there are just a, there are a number of people who just got so invested in the point in the in the thought that this was actually the Fox X Men stuff coming in that now they just want it too much and I I personally think and I've said this from the beginning if it turns out that he is not from that Fox X Men universe and he still could be but if he's not. I would think it is the most brilliant thing Kevin Feige has ever done in terms of casting. I think it would be the absolute most brilliant thing he has ever done in casting in the MCU. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, I don't think it'll be disappointing. I don't think it'll be uh, pointless. I think it would have been a really fun piece of casting that got us all talking and is really fun. And it's the type of thing we have asked for for years. Fans are constantly asking for that kind of casting. And then Kevin Feige does it, and then we complain. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on it, Shanghai. But again, we'll see what happens tonight, man. You, I mean, he could end up being the Fox's Quicksilver. I know it's possible. I don't think that's what they're going to do, but I know it's possible. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Um, anyway, so yes, there we go. That's all three of them. So there's that. And by the way, all the dinosaurs fear the T-Rex, <laughs> writes in a super chat badge from the UK. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that. And he says, number one fan in it. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, the Wakandan Forever writes, uh, yes, John, I'm 12. Let's pretend for a minute you are Dana White and could bring back one of these two to join the UFC. Bruce Lee or Andre the Giant, the most famous martial artist or the biggest athlete. They go undefeated. Who could beat them? Well, there's a couple of little problems here. Number one, Andre, the, there is actually, heavyweight has a weight limit. There's no super heavyweight division in the UFC. 
and heavyweight actually has a weight limit. I think the top weight you can be, you'd think I would know this off the top of my head, but I think the absolute guys in the live chat, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the absolute heaviest that you are allowed to be even in a heavyweight fight is 260 pounds. I believe 260 is the absolute most you can weigh in. I'm sure I'm right about that. Give or take five pounds. Um, but I think it's around 260. Uh, uh, MG McNatt is saying 265. So, okay. So let's, let's say 265, right? Let's say 265. Then that is the most you can weigh in at. Andre could never do that. One of Andre's legs may come in at 265. There's just no way anyway. And I'm going to say something controversial here, but it's the truth. Bruce Lee would get murdered in the UFC today. Like if you went back in time and were able to pluck Bruce Lee out, uh, out of time in his prime and bring him to today and drop him, let's say welterweight division for, actually probably fight a lightweight. Bruce would probably fight at lightweight. Um, and Bruce fights at lightweight, Bruce Lee would get murdered today. He would get murdered today. But, but that's the same as any sport. You see, when you have an era where an athlete has incredible greatness, their greatness causes evolution in the sport. Like Gordie Howe, uh, I know you guys don't follow hockey, I know, but, but Gordie Howe is one of the greatest hockey players of all time, and but his greatness caused evolution in the sport itself and how the athletes in that sport trained and developed and grew and learned. And that's why if you took Gordie Howe from his prime back when he played on the Detroit Red Wings and plopped him into the NHL today, they'd skate circles around him. They would skate circles around him. You take Joe Namath, Broadway Joe from the NFL back in his New York Jets days. He was a great quarterback. You pluck him out and drop him into the NFL today, he doesn't make any of the rosters because his greatness caused an evolution. Bruce Lee's greatness was one of the aspects that caused a revolution. There's a reason why the 100-yard, make the 100-meter dash Olympic champion from the 1960s would get smoked today, would get absolutely smoked and would come in last place, literally, if he tried to run in the, in the field today. We get absolutely destroyed. Bruce Lee's greatness of his era caused a change and an evolution in combat sports. He was part of it. There were other things to do it too, obviously. But because of his greatness, the fighting at the combat athlete today is infinitely different than the combat athlete of that era. Just like the athletes of today and today's NBA are fundamentally different than the athletes or a different DNA than the athletes of the NBA and, or, or the, you know, organized professional basketball in the 1960s. And so everybody gets mad at me when I say Bruce Lee today would get murdered in, in the UFC. They all get mad, but I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. I mean, just look at anything of athletics and sports, right? 
If you are truly great, your greatness will call an evolution. That's just like Michael Jordan's greatness caused an evolution. LeBron James's greatness is going to cause an evolution. Wayne Gretzky's greatness caused an evolution. Tom Brady's greatness is going to cause an evolution of how quarterbacks look at moving forward, their preparation, how they take care of their bodies, how they pace themselves. It's going to change. And therefore, a generation from now, all the quarterbacks are going to be better than Tom Brady is. It's just evolution. It's just evolution. So Andre couldn't be in it because he'd never get down to 265 and and Bruce Lee would actually get murdered. He'd actually get murdered today. So anyway, that's uh, that's my take on that. But he would get murdered because of his greatness. He caused the whole world to look at combat arts differently. And he was the spark that caused an evolution. And a testimony to his greatness is how much better the combat artists are today than they were a generation ago and how the next generation will be so much better than this generation. That's just the evolution of the athletics. But anyway, that's my take on it. Okay, next up. Um, We have Welsh Dynamo 95 who writes, Happy belated birthday, John. Thank you so much. My birthday was uh, last Friday. Uh, Hope you had a great day. I did have a great birthday. I watched episode eight of WandaVision and oh my God, I had the same reaction as Will Forte on Last Man on Earth. Oh, farts. Can't wait for episode nine pregame show today, baby. Yep, pregame show today, 2.30. WandaVision pregame. That's 2.30 Pacific Standard Time. That's a little over two and a half hours from now. Hope you guys will come on in and we'll talk about all that stuff. Thanks for that, Welsh. Welsh also writes, uh, just rewatched the Dark Knight trilogy, and I might be wrong about this, but I feel that Batman Begins is slightly underappreciated and overlooked when compared to the Dark Knight. I love Killian Murphy in it. Gotta love the Liam Neesons. Love the Liam Neesons. Uh, you are just an ordinary man in a cape. That's why you couldn't fight injustice, and that's why you can't stop this train. Great line. Liam Neeson, the Liam Neesons, to quote Keem Peel, the Liam Neesons is awesome. But you know what? The, the Batman Begins, it reminds me a lot. You know, whenever I talk about uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, right? When I talk about Daniel Day-Lewis, let me just bring this up. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, I believe, gave the greatest performance of any lead actor in Hollywood history in There Will Be Blood when he played Daniel Plainview, right? And of course, he won... Uh, the Academy Award for Best Actor that year. I believe that was the greatest performance in history. In Hollywood history. That was the greatest performance of any lead actor in history. The unfortunate thing about that is that also in There Will Be Blood is an actor by the name, you have to go all the way down to here, is an actor by the name of Paul Dano who played Eli Sunday or Paul Sunday. Paul Dano was amazing in that movie. Like freaking phenomenal. He was so good in There Will Be Blood. It was the performance of a lifetime. He was absolutely incredible. The problem is because Daniel Day-Lewis gave arguably the greatest performance of all time of any male lead in a Hollywood motion picture ever, Paul Dano's performance in There Will Be Blood got totally overlooked. 
And that is a shame because he was fantastic. And I mean, obviously Daniel Day-Lewis was better. It was the greatest performance of all time, in my opinion. But the unfortunate thing is, is it completely overshadowed Paul Dano. Batman Begins is the Paul Dano of this situation to the Dark Knight's Daniel Day-Lewis. Like a lot of people feel like the Dark Knight may be the greatest comic book film of all time. That's up for debate. I don't think it's the greatest of all time, but it's one of the greatest of all time. And many people feel that it is the greatest comic book movie of all time. But because of that, the Dark Knight's Paul Dano, Batman Begins, often really gets overlooked. It's a very good movie. I don't, I don't think it's as good as The Dark Knight, just like I don't think Paul Dano was as good as Daniel Day-Lewis, but we overlook, I feel, how good Batman Begins was because of how incredibly great The Dark Knight was. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it does get overlooked. I, I think it does get overlooked, and I think you're right about that. All right, next up, Yes writes, but John, just because Feige said five years ago until X-Men, it said said five years until X-Men doesn't mean he can't start leaving little breadcrumbs until they show up. Planting seeds is something the MCU excels at. P.S. I know you hate Hawkeye because he disapproves of me on Hot Dog. I'll tell you what, that scene in Endgame, as soon as that scene started, right? And and I don't hate Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye. I'm just not interested in the standalone Hawkeye thing. Like, I'm not interested in the standalone Black Widow thing. But whatever. But I actually love Hawkeye. But yes, at the beginning of Endgame, when he's like, who puts mayo on hot dogs with him and his stupid daughter? Who puts mayo on hot dogs? Fuck you, Hawkeye and your stupid little daughter. I hope she does get snapped. I hope Thanos snaps her away. Take her and that ignorant little mouth of hers away, saying mayo. Mayo is God's condiment, you heathens. Anyway, no, I love Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye. Um, No, you're right. But listen, there's a difference between breadcrumbs and saying that Evan Peters is the Fox X-Men Pietro. That's not a breadcrumb. That's that's a giant boulder dropping on the coyote's head as the roadrunner runs by. That's not a breadcrumb. But no, you're listen, there are two things to keep in mind. Number one, you're absolutely right. Kevin Feige could start leaving little breadcrumbs. He absolutely could, 100%. But that's different from Magneto showing up or Evan Peters being Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men universe, something that they may still do. But that's true. The other thing that is true is that while Kevin Feige said five years, and that was only three years ago, Kevin Feige's a human being. He may have changed his mind. He could change his mind. So both of those things, Yaz, are absolutely true. Both of those things are absolutely true. Um, Anyway, next up. Uh, Luke writes. Just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Luke writes... Hey, John, I've been watching your channel for a couple of years now. Thank you so much, Luke. I appreciate that. Uh, And it's an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to watch your videos. And, of course, with Robert, too, from across the sea in the UK, keep up the great work from Luke. Well, thank you so much, Luke. It's always awesome when somebody wants to write in just to be kind and encouraging. Thank you so much, and we're very grateful that you've been along for the ride as well. So thank you so much for that, and thank you for your support, dude. All right, next up, uh, Taskmaster503 writes, So, the only soccer you watch is the World Cup. Well, John, better start saving and get ready for the 2026 World Cup in the USA, Canada, and Mexico. You can be in Toronto or Los Angeles and watch Canada versus Italy. Uh, Hashtag Canada 2026 World Cup champions. Yeah, Canada ain't going to do squat in the World Cup. 
And that's okay. That's okay. I have never seen Canada play in the World Cup. I guess because they're one of the host countries, they get they automatically get to be in it. Is, is that the case? I don't know a lot about soccer. But those of you in the live chat, do you know the answer to that? Does the host country get to actually automatically get an entry into the World Cup? Because I've never seen Canada in the World Cup. I can only assume the only way they would get in. And uh, Lucas and Rajan and are saying, yes, that is true. Okay. See, there you go. So I guess Canada's going to be in the World Cup for like the first time ever. Yay, Canada. Go get smoked seven to nothing. All right. We're more of a hockey country and basketball. As it turns out, we're pretty good at basketball. We created basketball. A lot of you Americans don't know that we created basketball anyway. Um, yeah, it'll be an honor to go and see them get smoked, but watch Italy rise to power again. Forza Italia, Forza Italia. Uh, we're going to see Italy rise and claim world cup domination again. You wait and see. All right. Uh, next up, and this will be the final question of the day, guys. Uh, Double Crit writes, Hey, John, yesterday someone brought up uh, Bible-based movies, and you mentioned Noah as an example of a, of a Christian film done right. I saw Noah and Moses' movie with, with uh, Christian Bale. I'm, I wasn't that big on the one with Christian Bale. Uh, both kind of mad, but if there was one Bible character I'd watch uh, a movie on, it would be Samson. Samson would be, listen, somebody else wrote in the other day a really good one about David. I think Richard Gere, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Richard Gere at some point did a movie where he played King David. Anyway, one about David is filled with every kind of drama, betrayal, adultery, murder, c- cover up, espionage, politics. It's got everything. So, yeah, well, then oh, apparently Double Crit followed up on that and said, uh, that said, there's a fundamental problem here. Many Christians will not tolerate change from the original story, i.e. rock golems, because they see it as sacrilege. I think this is why Christian audiences prefer faith-based stories set in modern times. No, you're probably, no, I think you're probably right about that. They do. I just, I just hate all faith-based movies. I, I just find them to be terrible. I find, and that, that's not me being an anti-religious anything. I developed my hatred of faith-based films in seminary because they're awful. They're awful. They're just terrible movies. They're terrible. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's just me. All right, guys. For everyone else, from Michael H. Jones, Roberto, the facilities guy, do not worry. When we get going on the John Campia show tomorrow and we get into the live questions part of the show tomorrow, we will start off with your questions and we'll be at all caught up. Anyway, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campius Show, thank you so much for being here. Guys, seriously, I'm very cognizant of the fact that you guys take time out of your day to come and hang out here and watch these videos with us and hang out with the community, and we're very grateful for that. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved with the John Campius Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. And one more time, guys, do not forget, a little bit later today, in two and a half hours from now, we will be doing our WandaVision season finale pregame show. The season finale pregame show, that, of course, is coming up at 2.30 p.m. this afternoon. Make sure you guys come back and watch and join us for that. And by the way, guys, by the way, this is important. This is important. If you've got a theory, observation, prediction, or question 
for that WandaVision pregame show, do not send it in to the tip link. The tip link is for questions for the John Campus show. I'm going to be posting the live event here in the next five minutes, and then you can use the super chat feature in YouTube if you want. That way, that helps us keep separate the questions that come in for the WandaVision stuff, uh, the pregame show, and the spoiler discussion, and then the questions for the John Campus show. So just a little heads up on that. All right, guys. That will do it for me for now. Thank you so much for being here. Remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.